Welcome to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast, the show for business owners looking to acquire, scale, or exit a business. Before we get on with today's program, we just wanted to let you know that the Buy, Grow, Sell team have been working really hard to come up with more resources that add more value to your journey. This includes a range of webinars, tools, and other events, including an online summit where we get some of the industry's leading experts to come and share their insights. If you'd like to know more, go to buygrowsell.com forward slash events. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast. Now, if you're a business owner and you're listening to this now, I, I guarantee that you've had some challenges in your life. And Maybe you've even had some times on your journey where you have wondered if this is all worthwhile. You know, those times where you feel so overwhelmed with obstacles and challenges and you kind of feel like maybe the universe is working against you. If you can relate to that in any way, shape or form, you're really going to enjoy this next episode. My next guest is Beata Chalette. And Beata's had a fascinating story of adversity and overcoming challenge. And I know that this is almost a common thing out there in, in marketing and media land. You know, they like to glorify some of this stuff. But when you listen to Beata's story, how she, from a young age, had to continually overcome various obstacles from within her own family, from outside her own family, to just natural shocks in the environment. Yet through all of that, she pursued something that she was quite passionate about and turned it ultimately into a business that, in the end, got bought by Bill Gates. Now, there's a little something most people can't brag about. So Beata was really open and sharing some of the personal experiences and some of the things she's learned along the way from dealing with lawsuits, almost losing her company many, many times over, to overcoming some of that and indeed even personal losses to ultimately build a company that was saleable, it was successful. And of course, she talks about how she's been able to turn that experience into a mechanism to help other business owners on their journey. I really enjoyed this episode. I know I say that almost every episode because the people we get on this show are really, really cool and I'm very, very fortunate to be able to get the chance to talk to them, but I know you'll get a lot out of this. This is Beata Chalette. Hello, Beata. Welcome to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast. Simon, we are excited to be here with you because we're going to talk about something that I actually really like to talk about, exits. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, I know we're going to get into your firm that you founded and ultimately sold to Bill Gates and one of his firms, which is really exciting. Um, but maybe you could kick off for me and give the audience a little bit of background and tell us how did you kind of get into this entrepreneurial space? Yes, so I probably very much like most people, I had big ideas and uh, very little room to express myself and being told that I was too loud, too obnoxious, too uh, competitive, too whatever. And then I always felt that I had a really creative, uh, a creative vibe in me. And I was, I was told because I'm originally from Germany, where everything has to go by a particular kind of pattern, that I should either be a roofer or a secretary. And neither one of these was a desirable 
a job for me. And so I became a photographer regardless. And I worked with very colorful, interesting people my entire life. I call them non-conforming visionaries, thought leaders, you know, people that really make amazing things happen. And then I realized quickly that I was always better at the business side of things, but I loved working with, with creative people. And so over my career, really, I learned that what I'm good at is helping people that want to take planes really high. I help them land them. Nice. I love it. I love the analogy. Out of interest, your in your family, were your parents entrepreneurial or was there any kind of, was there any kind of role model for you when you were younger that you sort of saw people that were doing it, you know, living a different life, running a different model, doing a different race? Well, my mother was a traditional housewife who has not stopped to this day to tell me that men don't like women like me because I am too independent, too loud and too obnoxious. <laughs> and um, my dad was the CEO of a dairy company and okay. I remember over the weekends going with my dad to the office. Now I know how really bad that is, but back then I thought it was very exciting. And he had like this huge office and he had four secretaries and he had uh, this like big boardroom with like 50 seats next to it. And that's kind of what, you know, if I had this option and that option, that was definitely the one option I wanted. I had no desire to do the housewife thing. I, I loved this idea that people would come together and it was my office and my boardroom and they would all come to me and sit around the table. So I think that probably set me very early on a trajectory of, of wanting to be the boss, which is probably why I didn't find the roofing very interesting or the secretary. And I started my entrepreneurial journey really as as a teenager, when when this poster thing became a thing and everybody had these cool posters, which will reveal how old I really am. And <laughs> I became a poster reseller because if I would sell a certain amount of posters, I would get a number of posters for free. And sometimes they made a mistake and send me more posters and then I could sell them for a profit. Nice. Nice. Very good. Um, just for what it's worth, I respectfully disagree with your mother. So, you know, I'm, <laughs> think, I'm very glad times have changed. <laughs> Still got more change to go, no doubt. But um, Yeah, but, especially yeah. with some of the women. It's not just always the men, you know. It's also the, 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 the nonsense we have to hear to. Hear, but, you know, I will say, um, because I think it's also important that we talk about our own limitations and things that are part of our story. That's just part of my story. So when I say something like this, it's not stinging anymore. It's staying for a very, very long time. Today, yeah. I'm the most successful in my family, hands down. I don't have anything to prove to anybody anymore. And I think that my mother, you know, probably really enjoys that I can send her money, even though she <laughs> would not admit it in that kind of way. So I I think that as we gain the confidence of stepping into who we really are, and I own who I am, and I own that unapologetically, you know, I say sometimes I'm an acquired taste, I'm direct, I am no BS, I'm to the point. Not everybody likes that. But the people who do like that, they do like me. And those are the people I like to hang out with. 
Yeah, yeah. I think it's, um, you know, stealing a, a line here from Simon Sinek, but, you know, you're, you're, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, but, you know, our, our role is not to sell what we do to everybody. It's to connect with those who believe what we believe. And then the rest of it actually is quite easy. And, and I just wholeheartedly live my life that way. It's, you know, you, you, you shouldn't be trying to please everybody all the time. So quick question on that, though. It, how important is it, do you think, that, um, you know, in our young and formative years that, that we actually have some of those prickly issues or challenges that we've got to deal with and overcome? Like how important is it to de- have those sort of things to help you become the person that you are? That is really um that's really a very cool question. I'll tell you why. I think it's so cool because we we always grow up and we look at the other side, right? We look at what our friends had that had this like perfect upbringing. I don't know why my mom hated me the way she did. I don't know why she said the things that she did. And I don't know why, you know, why why she was so upset that I wanted to be that and not conform to her very limited, narrow belief system. I don't know that. And then you go through these through these pieces of adversity and for a long time you run around and you go like, why me, why me, why me? And then there comes a point where you realize and you say, well, Tony Robbins put this probably in the best possible way. He says, my mother was a horrible mother and I thank her for everything. I thank her for the way she treated me, even though she abused me and she was absolutely horrible, but it pushed me to become the person I am. And it pushed me in my desire to help more people. I believe, you know, and, and again, you know, people may disagree with that. I believe in something that I call an activation. I think that those of us that are here to make a really big impact tend to have gone through massive adversity to a much, much larger degree than most people will ever experience because we are here to make an impact with the story by overcoming the story. It's like almost like God spirit universe, whatever you want to call it, Simon, is putting us through this crazy crash course. It's like, hey, let me, let me just show you how bad it really can be. You know, how what are you going to do with that? Because it takes a particular type of person to just go through this is okay. All right, seriously, Um, and then go back up and say, dusting myself off here, this is not how I will be defined on whether you want to prove them wrong or better prove yourself right. I prefer the second option in it, but there is nothing better than standing where I'm standing today, looking back and saying, I sold my business to Bill Gates. So how about that? Ending up on the street and eating dog shit. I don't think so. Love it. Love it. And I agree completely. Um, you know, I, I really do think that without adversity, well, we, you've got nothing to compare to anyway. We're, as human beings, we naturally compare everything. It's, you know, it's all about context. And when you've been through challenges in life, it makes everything else actually feel and seem easier. Actually, isn't necessarily any easier. It's just that you're a lot tougher and a lot fitter and a lot more capable. So it's, um, yeah, I think it's, it's interesting. I think we live in a weird sort of time these days where uh, I think we're, we're sort of at a point in society, and this is maybe a little off the track from businesses, but where I don't know where we sort of, everyone's maybe a little too sensitive about everything. <laughs> and it's like at some point you've got to go, well, look, come on. Sometimes you just got to get over it. You know, like we all were teased a bit at school. We were all having issues. We were all having stuff like we all have stuff to deal with. 
The question is, what will you do about it? <laughs> well, I think this is the, really the part about the resilience. So, so the the challenge that we have is the mistake that our parents made is they said, you are unbelievable and you're very perfect. Because they felt, because they heard that from the psychologist, that if they would help us building up our self-esteem, that that would help us. What did happen instead is that it's a, we all entitled. Like, we're entitled to feel good. Then in America, I don't know if this exists in Australia, it does not exist in Germany, is when you go to school, you get a citizenship award. And that means you <laughs> didn't get sick, you just showed up. So we're giving away per participation medals just for showing up. So you can completely suck. You can never hit a ball on the baseball team. But just because you showed up, you still get an award for citizenship of, 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 of just you know participation. Now, how is that going to help you in the real world? So now, now you're 25, you're going to go into your, 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 your office for your boss and you're going to ask him for a raise. And the boss says, well, what have you done for me lately? And you say, I was very cute when I was six months old. And my mother told me if I just show up every day here, that where's my award? Or then you go and you run a business on your, uh, on your own. And then your client says, what can you do for me? And you say, I'm a really nice guy. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yes, it's uh, it's an interesting environment. It's um, I think that that very debate has been had in many schoolyards across Australia about let's not go. We've probably taken a little bit of a step in that direction in some ways, but I think there's a big resistance against it in Australia as well. You know, and it's glad to hear that doesn't happen in Germany. Um, changing gear a little here. Um, you started selling posters. When did Beata Works kind of start to form into a real entity? When did you know it was it was something? Yes. So the idea was born when I when my first production client for a still photography production was Levi Strauss. Now, let's just say that's a pretty good size, amazing. That's client. a pretty good company, yeah. <laughs> and so I asked the, the the producer from the company, I said, well, how did you find me? And she says, well, somebody says, call Beata in Los Angeles. I'm like, seriously? In a city of 13 million people, somebody said to you, call Beata in Los Angeles, and that's how you found me? That must be in my name. So I yeah. just put it in my name, Beata works, right? Nice. Easy. And, and so that company came because I was laid off. And in, in a recession with a six months old, as my marriage already started falling apart because I married an alcoholic and a pathological liar, kind of like a really nutcase like my mom. And as I am sort of like trying to figure out how am I going like to get through all of this, then the first piece of adversity happens and the big earthquake happened. And that's, you know, in the middle of all of this, I get laid off. And now I have to figure out how in shambles with a city that nobody wants to fly to, nobody wants to produce in, how in the world am I going to build a business not knowing what to do, how to do it with an idea, a small child, no family, as an immigrant, with really no money. That's how Beata Works was founded. And then I was stumbling through the dark for quite some time. Wow. I mean, congratulations for even getting it started. I, I constantly have seen 
friends of ours who are single parents and, you know, going to a job, you know, employed. They don't have to be the business owner as well as the employee. And I just look at how unbelievably hard that is and take my hat off to all of them. I think, you know, I think being a single parent must be one of the toughest jobs on the planet. Um, throw that on being a double single parent of having to run your own business because it's like a little infant as well that requires you to run around and clean up after everything and spoon feed everything. And yeah, it's, it's, that's really tough. Having, having done both of those things, not be the single parent, but being a parent and being a business owner, I, I can relate. So, so congrats on even just getting something going, but, um, clearly, clearly you actually achieved a lot of success. And I mean, starting with Levi Strauss, as a client, I, I presume they didn't pay you in five hundred one. So um, you know that obviously led to um, led to some other clients. So what, what did the journey look like from that that really kind of tough beginning? You know, I, I know I believe you held the business for about thirteen odd years. So can you talk us through that journey and what did growth look like and what were some of the challenges on the way? Yeah. So so I think what's important, you know, for your audience to point out, Simon, is that the trajectory is never what you think it is going to be. So I was doing two things. I was doing photography production, still photography production, Mercedes-Benz, Levi Strauss, Wrangler. I had become sort of that the hot go-to producer in LA. I knew all the, you know, the downtown locations and the film locations somewhere in Santa Barbara and, you know, the vineyards where they filmed from Mice and Men. And, you know, so I, I had, I had like a, you know, the bridges that you see in a lot of the shots, uh, all these kinds of things. That was like kind of my hook is that I was not the catalog producer, but I was the one to go to when you needed something more interesting. And um, then I was doing photography representation, so I had a stable of photographers that I was working with. And the story kind of goes, is like you, 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 you go ahead, you fall back, and then I'm finally somewhere, and then a photographer leaves me, and with him, $350,000 walk out of the door. Now you have to, you know, and he says, if you want the money I owe you, you must sue me. Um, and so what, you're going to spend twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 to sue him for the 60000 he owes you from the three fifty you generated? That just doesn't make any sense. So, so I had a lot of these, lot of these things and, and it was, you know, big disasters, riots, floods, fire, earthquake. And then uh, one day I'm finally at the million dollar business. I'm thinking, man, I'm finally these, these horrible cast iron frying pans where they tell you they're the best frying pans, that but everything sticks to them, uh, that somebody just keeps like whacking me over the head. As in, finally, I got it. I'm in a million dollar business. I'm in the 4% of business owners. This is it. And then I had this nasty feeling that something was going on with my key, with my employee and my key vendor. They got a little bit too close. How close? Nah. But they came up with a plan on how to run their business without me. And so this time I sued them because that was a half a million dollars. And next thing I know, I'm embroiled in this lawsuit. My invoices are being paid to them because they went to all the clients and said I was withholding money. I was cheating. I didn't pay them. And the clients paid them. Oh, no. On in invoices I wrote. And so I'm in this lawsuit and the lawsuit goes on and on and on and on. And I did not know this about lawsuits, but the $20,000 retainer that you pay to your attorney is one letter. And then you need another 20,000 for the second letter. 
and another 20,000 for the next letter. And that's all the attorneys do is write letters back and forth constantly and discovery and, and, and sort of whatever there's. I mean, it's just absolutely crazy. So I'm in this lawsuit. I'm 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 in debt $130,000. I'm going like, man, this is this is this bad, but production season is right around the corner. There it is. Half a million dollar on the book. I'm good cash flow wise beginning September. Well, it was the 11th of September. That September 11th. And within 24 hours it's over. Like I mean it's game over. There's nobody Nobody in the world on a plane flying to Los Angeles. We're sorry, cancel, cancel, cancel. Production business just, I mean, literally in 24 hours, I lost everything. And so I'm sitting there and I'm going like, well, um, I think I'm in a little bit of a pickle here. And I, you know, and I had to keep my poker face. We settled the lawsuit three months later. How to this day, I don't know. Can I ask how long it took from when you first realized there was a problem to when the lawsuit got settled? A year. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And there must have been a lot of energy and effort that could have been put into something far more productive too. <laughs> Especially when you realize you end up with zero. So they paid me, you know, they paid me a good amount, but I had to pay the attorney. Yep. I had to pay my debt and I literally had nothing left. So I had to start all over again, which was exactly where I was a year before. So now I'm going, all right, so now, now it's game, game on, because now I have this idea of the stock photography syndication, which is the business that I ended up selling. And so now I'm running up a spiral staircase and four inch heels as fast and hard as I can. I have a great idea. I, I have A-listers that are signing up. You know, I have, I'm, I'm, I know it. I'm feeling it. I'm at this moment in time where I hit the jackpot. One tiny little problem. I have no money. So now I am borrowing money. I'm maxing out my line of credit. I'm maxing out my second line of credit. Now I'm maxing out my credit cards. Now I'm taking the, do you need an advance on your credit card, an extra $5,000? Now I'm paying, I'm borrowing money to pay interest on borrowed money. As you know, so I'm in a brilliant finance strategy. Just the yeah. best. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you're looking for a crash landing, please go do that. <laughs> and then and then that comes to an end at one point and you say well i better be flying to germany try to drum up some business i go to germany i meet my dad my dad has a stroke my dad didn't have a stroke he has pancreatic cancer so my dad dies six weeks later so my biggest oh my fan goodness. my supporter is gone now I'm standing in Germany in this nether Bavarian town, picturesque with a Baroque church behind us overlooking the whole valley. We literally put my dad in the ground and my phone rings, my office in Los Angeles, we've just been served a notice. I'm losing the house. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So I'm standing there. Somebody, somebody made a joke about this and says, well, that should tell you, you know, you need to mute your phone on funer funerals. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I, Simon, at that point, I dropped everything. I fell to my knees. I raised my fist and I yelled at God and I'm like, WTF, yeah. come on. Like, seriously, like if you have a plan, you need to fill me in here because this makes no sense. I mean, what else? I mean, now my worst case scenario has happened. Death, right? There is really nothing else. I'm like, okay, fine. I did it all. 
I put it all in. I created everything I could. Everybody's going to say, you know what? This was a great fight, Beate. It's okay. I come back. I get a letter from the White House. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> the White House. Yes, yes, yes. Not just any White House, yes. <laughs> no, not any White House, the White House from the President of the United States. And I got this letter because, you know, and I, I want everybody to really pay attention to this because this is how opportunity often shows up. Opportunity often shows up as a challenge in disguise. The only reason I wrote a letter to the White House, Simon, is because my former mother-in-law was a complete nag. You got to write the letter. If anybody can help you as the President of the United States, He's the top one guy in the country. Why do you waste your time? Why don't you go to the number one guy in the country? Have you written your letter yet? And at one point I'm going like, fine. <laughs> and I wrote the damn letter and I, and that's it. And that, that, and I let it go. I'm like, I never see anything. But what it did when I got the letter from the White House is it put me in touch with the Small Business Administration, which is a government institution helping businesses with funding. I had written a business plan and I had the track record and I had had revenue before and I could demonstrate that this was because of September 11th and, and you know, in these other things that were completely outside my control. So they helped me to find a bank that restructured my $135,000 into a 10 year fixed loan that freed up my line of credit. Three months later, I'm break even. 18 months later, I'm the world leader in my category. That's when the Bill Gates company comes and they knock and they say, tell us how you do it. I said, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> you want it? Buy it. You, you buy it. <laughs> yeah. And they say, how much do you want? I said, I want millions. And they said, fine. Yeah. <laughs> so, so just to recap here, you know, because I get asked this question a lot, you know, um, uh, what do I need to do to sell my company for Rex? Or how do I increase my business value by Y? I want to get, you know, these are the kind of results I want. How do I achieve a much better result than kind of where I'm at today? And I think I just to once again paraphrase something you just said, but I don't know, maybe be a world leader in what you do. <laughs> then, then you're more likely to have people chase after you and want to pay you millions. Well, the valuation, right? So we, we sold for five-time valuation. We, we so, so when you say five-time valuation, do you mean five times? Uh, five-time like gross. I'm sorry, five times, five times gross. And we, okay. we owned nothing. We had licensing agreement. We yeah. owned nothing. So the valuation was so ridiculously good because we had an offer for a specific client a buyer who was looking for an idea how to grow something that they had paid an obscene amount of money for that they couldn't grow. We were literally the only thing on the market that gave him a shot at actually adding something to this particular business line. That's why. And, and you said only one on the market. I mean, it sounds to me like you weren't really on the market, but you got approached and you were willing to engage, but it sounded like you weren't running a process or anything. You were just kind of doing what you do. Is that, is that, is that a fair comment? 
Well, I did put the word out on the market. So okay. my my mentor at the time, he had just sold his food stock photography business for $70 million. Seven zero? Seven zero. <laughs> I, I, I mean, that valuation was, 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 I mean, that was sick. Yeah. And he did that because he had all these different lines of business. So he had the, you know, he had the tiered, the tiered levels. Gotcha. And when I was watching him do this, I remember we were standing on a rooftop in Lisbon in Portugal. And he said to me, you are next. I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, this is ridiculous. You know, why would, nobody would ever buy anybody like me. And he says, mark my words, you're the next exit. And then he says, what's your number? Um, what, 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 do you, what do you mean? He says, well, you need to know what your number is, because then when somebody comes and gives you that number, you know, it's time for you to sell. Great piece of advice there. You know, I, 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 let's just pick up on that because I, I have this conversation regularly. I had it with a client yesterday about understanding your number and, and they had a similar reaction to what you just described then as what, what do you mean? So, you know, knowing what number is important to you, and, I, and I'm going to take this an extra step in that don't I, I find a lot of business owners kind of go oh you know if i had a couple of million or if i had a you know like it's this really kind of almost vague you know oh yeah that number kind of sounds good and i'm sort of pushing business owners because not everybody's going to have reach a, some skyrocketing valuation right it, it's going to be probably sold on the fundamentals and there's going to be a bunch of other issues in there but i'm always sort of saying like please do some math around this do a little Put a little bit of science behind your thinking, you know. What does a good life look like? What does, uh, you know, what are the ups and downs? How do you allow for this? Do some number crunching. You know, it doesn't have to be reams and reams of modelling, but just at least put some thought into this because if you throw the number out and it's the wrong number, well, it's a bit you're hard screwed. to walk it back. You're yeah. screwed. Yeah, you're screwed. And, and so I think this is a very important conversation because the way I looked at it, as I said, I've been thrown out. I've had no money. I still have to put a kid through college. I'm pretty sure my ex-husband's not going to be paying a dime. And all of this is on me. So what would that look like? I want to buy a house so nobody can ever throw me out. I want to put my daughter through college. And if I put my investments in a somewhat semi-conservative, let's say 8 to 10%, or let's say five to 7% investment given market fluctuations, then of the investments I could make an income and live on the interest and never touch the principal. Yeah. In addition to buying a house and putting my daughter through college and having the cash flow to do that. That was the number. And then when somebody gave me that number, it was, there was nothing to think about. And this is, I think, where a lot of people make a big mistake because I go, oh, well, that was so easy to get to that number. Uh, maybe I should have asked for more. Maybe I should put myself back out on the market. And maybe I should, should, should ask another buyer for, for more money. And that's how you blow opportunities. Because what Indeed. happened, if I wouldn't have sold six months after I sold, the entire photography industry imploded. I was the last one to sell. Wow. Wow, cross the finish line just in time. In time. Yeah. And people go like, well, if they give you this much right now, then if you hold on for another year, then you can get this much. And I'm like, nope, this is the number, the marker. 
Look, another uh, really amazing piece of advice there, Beata. I mean, uh, one of my friends and colleagues um, who works with us at Exit Advisory, he, he always describes it as people putting on their greedy goggles again. <laughs> and I just love that expression yeah. because it's it's really quite accurate. I mean, I, exactly what you've said. I've had plenty of clients over the years who've said, you know, hey, X is my number. Get me X in a, in a transaction we're done, this is great, we'll do a deal, you know, happy days. And then somewhere halfway through the transaction, they start to get delusions of grandeur and go, oh, my goodness, what? Well, you found somebody who's willing to pay that. Oh, well, geez, they must be willing to pay more or, hey, or this is the first offer we've got. So if it's the first offer, if we grind this out and go through more buyers, we must be able to get more. And nothing could be further from the truth. Like that first offer actually might be your best and only offer. Um, so it's, I think this idea of moving the goalposts is probably a common expression used here in Australia. I don't know if it's used much in the US, but you know, you move the goalposts, you're never going to be able to kick a goal, right? You're just, you're always going to be meandering and renegotiating. And in the end, even the buyers get deal fatigue. They get sick of working with you and they lose trust and lose faith. And so I love that idea of know your number, do the deal, get it done, and and yeah, and that's it. Keep it clean. And that's it. Yeah, because you know, I did, I did put myself out on the market, and then I, I, I had one more offer, which was a fraction, and it was the worst offer ever, and it, you know, would have included me then to go on a three-year contract and actually build that business for that company. Uh, and I'm like, absolutely not. You know, I'm 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 not doing any of that. So it took like no time for me. So I I knew I knew I had hit the jackpot. I knew that this particular business, because of the business that they had that they wanted to grow, that I was literally the only player in the market. And then I made sure that when we were going through the acquisition and then the integration, I ran the integration myself. So so they paid me for that. I trained every salesperson in the world on how to sell my stuff. I was committed to having my buyer get their money back within three years, and they did. Yeah, nice. And that's a great return on investment, right? Great return on investment. H how long did you hang around after the deal was done? I, uh, my, the acquisition, uh, the integration was done after six months instead of a year, and then they offered me a job as a senior director of global entertainment. And then I did that for about a year. And let's just say that was uh, difficult. And it was and it was difficult in the sense that what happens is that the stuff that makes us great, our quick thinking, our 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 ideology of reacting quickly to the marketplace. When it's a Bill Gates company, that's just not the case because there's so many layers in the company and yeah. things have to go through whatever. And then the guys go golfing on the weekend. You didn't know that happened. And then decisions are made Monday morning. You didn't even know because you weren't invited. And then there's this like whole male, female thing. And, 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 and then people go to lunch and they do it when you're in the bathroom and telling you that you weren't there. And you go like, are you guys kidding me? Is this, I'll be like in kindergarten here. But I realized that there was something fundamentally wrong with a lot of the corporate structure, especially here in the United States, because it is so, it is such an old business model. And that's what I want to write my next book about really is to talk about if we want a new business code, 
we actually need to start writing it because the way business is done and how we prepare people to enter business is is atrocious. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's um, I think the this uh, idea of a boys' club, I, I, I do genuinely believe it's changing, um, but it's it's a very slow process. And I um had a friend of mine. She's um such a strong entrepreneurial woman. She's fabulous. Um, and and I just. She puts stuff out there that I just I love it. It just cracks me up because it's it's the sort of stuff that nobody would have said twenty years ago, probably even ten years ago. Um, but she came out the other day and and made some comment about um, men, and I, I had to give her a little dig and go, "Hey, the way you get change is we're actually not not all like that. Actually, if you want the change, you need you need more forward thinking men to constantly support you as well. Don't don't leave us out. Bring us on the journey with you." A lot of us are willing to support that, you know. It's um, you know, it, it this comes back to that comment almost full circle here to the beginning of our talk is not everyone's going to agree with you, but you know, find those who believe what you believe and go on the journey together. Right? You'll you'll achieve. You'll be probably surprised at what you could achieve. Well, I think that there's a really important lesson here, and one of my clients, Michael Magulis, um, he has something that he calls narrative intelligence, and he says. And I think this is such a powerful point. He says, if the narrative has friction in the message, in the original message, you have so much to overcome. So if the narrative in the beginning is one that everybody can get excited about and, 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 and buy into, your implementation rollout is going to be much easier on whether that's change management, diversity, equity, inclusion, whatever you want to call it. And that made me really think because I fought hard for for decades for women, you know, especially with women's code. But I realized that the harder you fight, the more resistance you 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 get from people that uh, are from men that go and say, "There's nothing wrong with masculine men." You know, I actually just had a conversation about this, and and I know this is a little bit of a side note here, but I I think that is important also for how you run your business, especially, you know, men who are listening, it is perfectly okay to be a masculine man and say, I have strong values, but make those values part of your selling point and part of your mission or part of your business and say, we are dedicated to showcase that strong men can and will run equitable, fair businesses without being mandated or told what to do. Because we believe in the real value of, of community. Now you got a much more powerful position versus the token, you know, uh, uh, diversity officer and doing a couple of half-assed programs. But if, if you say, but we are proud to be masculine men because we need masculine men as we need feminine women and we need to understand when men are willing to soften and women need to be stronger so that we can we can draw off each other's strength but that somehow in the messaging right now is completely lost and and now if you say something inevitably somebody says i can't believe you said that yeah yeah a hundred percent and i think that that's you know i guess a couple of things i'm taking away from that as well is that first of all you know you 
people need to have enough emotional intelligence actually to recognize their own strengths and weaknesses anyway. So, yep. hey, we do value all these things. But do you know what? <laughs> Maybe I'm actually not the best person to lead this next meeting because I know that I can be a little bit forward with some of my views and a little bit kind of stubborn in some so maybe I actually need to take a back seat and let somebody else in the team kind of take point on this and you know it's dare I say it may be a big bit of a crude expression but horses for courses right like you, you you've got a team of people here right you're not always going to be the best person for every role so you know taking that on board is is uh, at an individual self-aware level is critical in my mind to being a good leader and running a good company oh my god a hundred percent I remember when I ran when I ran, um, you know, the stock photography syndication as we were getting ready to sell, I had a controller. And it was so interesting to me that every time we had a meeting, she would have an after meeting. And then, and then one day I said, like, why do you do that? It's like, was I not? And she's like, oh, honey, no. And so she, she, <laughs> she would then explain to them what I actually said even though I can swear I couldn't have been clearer. Yeah. <laughs> but when you recognize that that's happening, then what you do is I said, Sharona, um, will you make sure that all the questions are answered? Can you please recap what I've just asked everybody to do? so that we didn't have an after meeting, so that we did it in the meeting to yeah. make sure that whatever we talked about sticks. So th th that is the emotional intelligence and self-awareness you were just talking about. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think it's a great example. Um, second quick thing, and, uh, and, and I guess we can roll on with, I'm very keen to hear more about what you're doing these days, but um, just this piece about diversity that you mentioned, I, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, these flaky statements about diversity and you know, limp sort of programs that people roll out. And, and they're not all like that. I don't don't want to give that impression. I'm tar everybody with the same brush. But I think there's a lot of tokenism out there. And we saw the same thing with, and we're still seeing the same thing with Greenwash. Oh, yes, we're an environmentally friendly, you know, company that, you know, we buy a bit of solar energy, but, you know, we pollute the river. Um, you, you know, it's this sort of stuff that I just find very frustrating. And I think, you know, for those business owners who are listening, to me, I, you know, and I, I'd like to be practical if nothing else on this show, you don't need a massive diversity statement and a diversity program to be diverse. Your doing and your actions say a hell of a lot more than the statement you put on a poster or on the email uh, signature of your, your team members. You want a diverse company, hire people and be diverse and hire, definitely hire the best people for the roles. Um, but make sure you're aware if you have any biases and, and act on it. You know, act in a way that actually encourages diversity rather than just talking about it. <laughs> and, and to add to that, make sure you bring people in that have different viewpoints. I hired a black gentleman who comes from Uganda and had just horrible circumstances figured out how to get himself a scholarship for a Chinese exchange program. Now he's wow. in China being paid by the Chinese government to, to, to study Chinese so he can then be helping the Chinese to do trade with Uganda. And he's, he's working in sales for me. 
Wow. When I saw that, I'm like, I have to bring him on board because there's, this is so different, so unique. There's a skill set here. I didn't even know exactly how we're going to be using this. But, but somebody who can figure something like this out, there's an intelligence here that I'm sure I can, you know, I can, I can direct somewhere. And yeah, my, yeah. my VA is in the Philippines. And, you know, so we, we, we have all these different people. So I look at this not just from, does it look good on the diversity statement? But I know, I know now that if I don't have somebody who's way younger than I am, who can emulate the language of what people are speaking that are 25, because I'm not 25, so I, I, I don't know that language. If I don't have somebody who has a different skin color than I do, how would I know what's appropriate? But also just their experience, right? Their experience oh, growing yeah. up versus your experience growing yeah. up. It's, you know, we, we often um, use this example of, and, and those listening to this podcast in audio, I'll, I'll have to be more descriptive, I guess, rather than just um, holding my hand up to the camera. But if, if I held my hand up in a closed fist and fingers pointing outwards to, towards the camera so you can see my hand and asked you to describe what you see, you know, you're probably going to give me some version of I see four fingers and a thumb wrapped around it and, you know, it's um, very pale. Um, whereas <laughs> if I look at the same hand from this aspect, I can't see fingers. I see a completely different perspective. Same hand, different perspective. And I, I just, we use that example a lot in our team about why, we want different people in the room because they will see the same situation in a different light and from a from a different different perspective. So, you want the best solutions? Come at it from different angles and and create the right solution. Right out of a out of an interesting mix of ideas. Yes, I I I think that's a very powerful, important message. If you detach yourself from the tokenism, as you called it, which I agree with is 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 a, is, a, is a disease right now and and go and go back to say what are we really trying to do here are we really trying to find amongst a diverse population a diverse clientele that we can serve we try to find as many people in as many in, in as many groups that, that qualify for our services uh that we can help to attract them so you know i'm a certified myers-briggs practitioner and i remember very vividly when I was in the practitioner training and I'm an ENTP and I'm the only ENTP and I'm standing there and, you know, there's this discussion where I'm talking about, you know, what I wrote down and my personality type and stuff like that. And I'm reading it and I'm going like, I sound like an arrogant prick. <laughs> and over on the other side, the people that are the intuitive feelers, right? The people that make sure that the people are taken care of, they're all standing there with their arms crossed and going like, mm-hmm, well, at least there's some <laughs> self-awareness here. <laughs> and I'm thinking I'm Gandhi. <laughs> and then I said, but how can anybody object if the systems are working perfectly? And then they're looking at me like, but if you piss people off and they don't want to use your systems, how good are they? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah. oh, I never even thought about it like that. <laughs> that's, when I've, that's when I understood that yeah. there's a time for my way and there's a time to bring someone in that has a different way because I could see, I could see that 
there was a piece in there that was not attractive and that did not fit with how I wanted to, how I wanted to show up. Yeah. So identified it, be aware of it, make some changes for it. So yeah. Still working it. on it. <laughs> oh, and aren't we all right? I did, I did this is, you know, it's something, gosh, life's a journey, right? I mean, there is a final destination, no doubt about it. But if you're thinking that it's the, all the reward and all the enjoyment and all the happiness comes at the destination, you've got a problem. So, um, yeah, got to find a way to keep evolving and enjoying the journey. But um, and speaking of which, what a great segue. I mean, what, what, tell us a little bit about your journey today. What are you, what are you working on? Who do you serve? Who do you, what's your world look like? Yeah, so what I have, what I've really focused on right now is I focus on my work as a growth architect. And what I have identified is that I find that with where the market is right now, we have an influx of millions and millions of coaches and consultants and experts. They've all been laid off. They all lost their jobs. They have big names, Amazon, Google, Facebook, Netflix, whatever behind them. And they're all out here. Guess what they're doing? They're all becoming freelancers. Yep. So now they're taking these you know certifications that internet marketers of course immediately figure out how to sell to them for a high ticket price in only five days you can be a high performance coach emerges an acquisition expert uh business strategist boom done you know so now i look at the people that have been in business for a while and i have a very very important message if you don't start to look at your brand message right now and your value proposition and you don't differentiate yourself you are in big trouble because they don't know any better. So they're going to say whatever they need to say, regurgitate, and they're going to erode the prices in the market. If you can differentiate yourself and I can get this for 50, instead of 250, I'm going to get it for 50. So it is your job to make sure you're worth the 250. So what we've been doing is we've been, you know, and I saw this coming uh, last year. So we've really narrowed it down and we've come up with an idea which I call the signature growth system to help people, especially in the service industry that say, I, I, I don't know what my differentiation factor is, right? So let's say the examples of mergers and acquisitions. So you could say, I, we are mergers and acquisition strategist consultants. Well, so is everybody else. Then you say, we do really good work. Well, that everybody else says that too. Then you say, you know, not you, but, you know, somebody may say, well, we show up on time. Well, if you don't show up on time, you shouldn't be in business, right? We know our <laughs> stuff. Well, if you shouldn't, if, if you don't, you shouldn't, shouldn't be here. So what is the differentiation factor? So I go in and I help to take all the different pieces that experience brings from the, you know, let's say in your case, it would be the increase of the valuation, the establishing of the value, the finding the buyer, the uh, getting the owner ready, you know, emotionally, physically, mentally to manage an, an acquisition or a merger, and then the integration and God forbid the due diligence and all the stuff that, 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 that you go through when you do that. Plus then the exit strategy after the acquisition so that they don't fall in this big black hole and then you know, uh, do stupid stuff with their money. So put together, like, what would be a transformation journey if somebody would come to you, put the umbrella over it, break it down in the different phases, and then help the business owner to identify in phase number one, you're going to do 
uh, group coaching. In phase number two, it's a workshop. In phase number three, it is a three months program for whatever, 25,000. In phase number so and so, it's a percentage of the, you know, of the actual acquisition fee. In, you know, in the last phase, in the, you know, let's make sure you live a good life with what you've created. Um, whatever the landing patch strategy, you know, th that's, that's whatever $5,000 and we'll meet once a month, you know, to, to, to get you ready for a soft landing. So that when people are now talking about why me, they have a clear language. So, you know, we have the five-star success blueprint. We can diagnose in 30 minutes where a business is stuck and what piece is missing because most people have pieces but they don't need everything they need some pieces so if you if you have a proper diagnosis and then the client can self identify where they fall and they go like oh my god you're genius simon i'm 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 in phase 3 how did you know and you go like yeah well we designed the system for this and they go like well you you get me better than anybody the other guy just wanted to sell me this like 100,000 dollar package but but you understand that this is all I need. I'm going with you. Now you got the differentiation factor. So that's what I help people with right now. Yeah, nice, nice. It's um, when clients typically come to you. I think that I love this idea of kind of unpacking your differentiator and then sort of structuring and building from there to turn it into an advantage. It's how long do clients typically work with you as they're going through some of those phases? before they kind of have this aha moment, oh my gosh, you know, it's actually working, we're getting traction, it's, you know, there must be some sort of, I always find that when you work with clients, at first they sort of go through change and they almost sort of dip a little bit before they then take off again. But um, is there a typical trajectory for clients? Well, so I have found that there are two types of clients this works for. Either people that want to grow and they realize that there's something that they can't break through and they need a strategy or a system and they don't really kind of know how to do that. They know they're good, so I help them with that. Or people that have grown really rapidly and then now they need to figure out how to scale that. Because, you know, the valuation, you know, just to stay with mergers and acquisitions, the valuation is going to be so much higher if you have a scalable system that's in place, because then you can prove to the buyer, if I, if I hand the system to you, they go like, okay, phase number one goes to that department, phase number two goes to that department, and suddenly you just upped your valuation by maybe even as much as 100%, because you have, you have a value here that's clearly identified. So we have created a mastermind. For, I do this in eight weeks. Oh, wow. Nice. nice. And we have people that when they're in the program, they start selling yeah. because they finally know how to articulate what it is that they're doing. And then they go like, oh, my God, I closed a $15,000 job. Uh, three days later, I closed a $50,000 job. Um, all because you can take the jargon that is rooted in what you know as a subject matter expert really is their problem. And it's translated into the language that they're experiencing the, the problem to actually be in. That's the key. I love that. And, and picking up on that little point you made about people can be a couple of weeks in the program. I mean, I, I love this idea of you don't need to wait till the end of an eight-week course or a three-month period to be this perfectly formed business owner who will make all the right decisions. I mean, that's fantasy anyway so but i love the idea that people get a good idea to in week two 
I'm going to go and implement that now. And, oh, wow, I'm getting results already. I, I guarantee those people probably come back even more hungry for the next week of learnings and the next, uh, you know, session. So it's um, it, it sounds like a very practical kind of program. It is. You know, when, when people then go like, it worked. and you go like well you know it's kind of why you why you what 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 you're paying me for is to 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 make it work and and then you know and then the the woman that that got the fifteen thousand dollar deal which is the biggest deal she's seen in years and she says and it was so easy because when i said that i have a system they said that I've never heard a communications specialist tell me that they have a particular type of system. Nobody ever says that. They just say, let's just start the coaching. Let's just see where it goes. And then we'll, over a period of time, identify. She walked in and she says, based on my system, here's the four things that we need to cover for you. And he goes, you got it. Makes sense. Boom. Done. Nice. Beata, I've had such a great chat with you. I've, I've, there's so many takeaways. I've been quietly tapping away at a few little notes here while we've been going. So, um, and, and I guess we're probably at the top of the hour. I, I had one last question, um, which is really, I mean, different for every person. It's a bit, bit more of a personal question maybe, but I'm interested in, after all this journey, how you personally now define success. And And before you answer that, I guess, give you a little bit of a, a a moment to ponder that, I guess, but are you happy for people listening here to reach out to you and connect with you? And if so, what's, what's the best way for people to do that? Yeah. So there's a couple of things. So number one, I first want to make sure that you get the shout out. So wherever you pick up by Grossell, make sure you go there now and give Simon a five-star review and a comment because that really helps with, uh, with the reach and the optimization and, uh, Talk about Thank one you. thing that, that you're taking away and shared with one other person that needs to hear what we talked about today. It is a labor of love. Give Simon some love back. With having said that, um, as far from me, yes, I, I, I'm I a sucker for great ideas. I really am. And for interesting models and crazy people, visionaries, thought leaders, that's that what, what excites me. Reach out. And if you heard something... Um, I'm all over social media, either under my name, Beate Gillette. Uh, that'll be in the show note on how to spell that or growth architect. And if you want to speak to me, schedule a complimentary uncovery session. You know, we have a system in 15 minutes. We can help you figure out what's going on in the business or take the quiz at growthblockerquiz.com to figure out what your number one growth blocker quiz is. Make sure you mention the show so I know, so I, I kind of know where you're coming from. And to say success so I'm going to uh, get very personal on this. So, you know, having been sort of this, this person that's always been a heart charger and, you know, an alpha woman, when I met my now fiance, which is already like nine years ago, and I realized that I needed or not needed, but I wanted to not just always be in that, in that space. So he's, he's a masculine alpha male. And I've been exploring with a high performance coach over the last couple of years on what that would look like for me to not always be an alpha on how to, how to soften that, which is the most single, most frightening thing for somebody who has been a survivor, who's been fighting her entire life. And so now I 
rented my house that I own and moved in with him. And I had to let go things that I had held on to. And I have had anxiety attacks. I mean, I know better, but, but you know, my, 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 my body is reacting to this. Yeah, so success yeah. for me now is to also look at the other side of saying, I certainly have figured out surviving. I am successful in anybody's book. But what if, what would happen if I softened that? If I step into, in the word that keeps coming up is feminine divine, which makes me really incredibly uncomfortable. And, and as I'm playing with that, and I see how people react to that, because I always thought, you know, I always have to be in that. And people go, oh, good for you. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I, is that is, is that okay is it like an option like yeah we love it you know like you know maybe next thing you run around with a flowery flowery dress or some some lace i mean i mean here me he, he, here's me with like a little lace top which you couldn't have found me wearing dead three months ago so so there is an experimentation and i i i think it's a good you know good closing thought is that you are not slave to the image that you created for yourself to get to a particular point at any point in time as there is a change and now i'm looking the relationship my daughter is pregnant she's having a baby in about three weeks so my role is changing and so success now is from here on until i get to the ultimate exit what do i want this journey to look like and i can tell you right now it not working saturdays and sundays <laughs> Amen to that. Um, I'm looking forward to that point in time too. Um, Beata, thank you so much for sharing and sharing something so deeply personal to yourself. I think, you know, that's what the show is really all about is us sharing the highs, the lows, the, you know, how we felt about different things so that hopefully others who are on their journey can get some value out of it and, and, either leapfrog, you know, some levels of success or perhaps miss some of the potholes in the road. But it's, um, yeah, look, I've, I've certainly taken a lot away from our chat and I, I really appreciate your generosity. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute blast. My pleasure indeed. And to all of you listening, thank you for joining us again on the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did and join us next week for the next episode, which I'm sure you'll find exciting as well. Thank you again for listening. The ultimate freedom is to own a company that is valuable, scalable, and saleable. Wherever you are on your business journey, it's worth understanding what is driving value into your business and what could be holding you back. For more information, speak to the team at Exit Advisory Group by going to exitadvisory.com.au or send an email to ask at exitadvisory.com.au. Thank you for listening to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast with Simon Bedard. For complete show notes with links to additional resources, visit buygrowsell.com forward slash episodes. Simon is the founder and CEO of Exit Advisory Group, and you can follow him on LinkedIn.